Hello, and welcome to LSA Sermon Based Podcast. Today, Pastor Brian will be going through a series called Follow Jesus, where we dig into the book of Matthew and learn more about the teachings of Jesus. And now, here is Pastor Brian. Thank you for being uh, part of that wonderful uh, service. We've been working hard at looking for elders and clarifying who the leaders are going to be for our congregation, and we believe the Holy Spirit has worked in this uh, process this morning. Our sermon title for this morning is Salt and Light. You probably know which uh, scriptures I'm going to be going to because they're uh, fairly well known. We're looking at Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at verses 11 to 16. Let me read them to you. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for this text, this word to us. Lord, we just pray that you'd open our hearts that we could bring out all of these uh, wonderful truths that are really important for our lives and for our life as a community and for our life to the community. Lord, we just pray that you'd guide us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So husbands, uh, I wanna speak to you uh, right off the bat. I wanna speak to you for a moment man to man. I'm sure that all of you at some point or another have organized a special date with your wife, right? You got the reservations at the perfect restaurant. You've come home after work. You've shaved. You put on the nice clothes your wife picked out for you. And hey, you even, you even put on some of that nice cologne just to show you care. The evening seems like it's going to be perfect. But after all that preparation... You have to be careful that you don't make a fatal mistake. Your preparations can fall apart so quickly if you get this part wrong. So there you are, you're sitting in the living room waiting for your precious, better looking, better half, and then she comes out and you can tell right away she's wearing a new dress. Now you have to be careful not to be transparent. They say you should be transparent in in marriages, but it's not true, not all the time. You have to be careful not to say what you're thinking. You don't say, how much did that dress cost? (laughs) You don't ask that. You don't don't talk to her about how you'd seen one of your coworkers bought the same dress last year for last year's Christmas party. You know the right answer. She looks amazing. Honey, you look amazing. But wives will sometimes throw you a curve. So I'm helping you out here. The question changes from how do I look in the dress, which is easy, to what do you think of the dress itself? Its color, its cut, its fabric. So there you are, you're scrambling for an answer. I don't, I've never thought about it before. Well, 
honey, it's, it's, it's different. Let me tell you, never use those words. Total bomb. The fact is, rarely is the word different something we want to hear about ourselves, about our clothing. But when we become Christians, we have to get real comfortable with being called different. What we're going to discover this morning is that being different because you're a Christian is a good thing. Now, it's going to lead to persecution. It's going to lead to difficulty. But it's the difference that's also the source of blessing to our world, to our community. So let's begin by looking first at the difficulty. Disciples of Jesus will be persecuted. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 12. The first thing Jesus points to is two types of verbal attack that we will experience as Christians, that you're going to be persecuted with. The first is you're going to be insulted, and the second is that you'll have, uh, falsely have things said about you, uh, evil things said about you. Your response to that may be, hey, no big deal. They're just saying bad things about me. I'm not getting beat up. I'm not being put in jail, so not a really big deal here. But as you all probably know from personal experience, verbal attacks can still be devastating. Devastating. They may not put you in the ER, but they can create a lot of anxiety in you. Uh, if you've ever been attacked on social media, or if you've ever been, uh, got an, have you ever got a text that was nasty? Uh, I've seen a lot of nodding heads. I, I've experienced this. You know what starts to happen if you get a few of those in, the row, uh, in a row? If I hear, it's like Pavlov's dog. I hear that ding, and I get anxious. Has anybody else have experienced that? This is the worst feeling. So uh, they haven't attacked me, they, like physically, but emotionally they've created this system, and now I'm anxious the minute I think I might have to engage with that. It's hard. It's changed my life. And then go to think about a child on the playground, right? A child can just as easily be crushed with words as much as with physical violence. To be honest, it's the words that were said to me on the playground that created years, if not decades, of stuff I had to struggle with where I got in fights on the playground, and I don't think about those at all. Like, I can think about them, but they can be at a distance. But for the words that were said, uh, they carry weight with us over our lives. So Jesus isn't playing games here. He's serious about the fact that the disciples are going to be insulted and slandered. Why? Because we're different. So last Sunday I told you that I was called a Bible thumper when I was at high school uh, because I shared about Jesus. Now, I didn't tell you all of the story. There were other contributing factors. I did walk around wearing Jesus t-shirts all the time. So my wardrobe was made up of pictures of Jesus, a cross, verses on my shirt, well displayed for everyone to see. I carried my Bible to every class. I read it whenever I was having lunch. So there were other things that kind of brought that attention uh, to me. But for all the paraphernalia, it was bringing up Jesus' name and asking people if they would like to know Jesus that provoked non-Christians. Jesus says in verse 11, when you're persecuted like this, when you're living out your life as a Christian and you're persecuted, you should be or you are blessed or happy. Remember, happy because you're in a good situation in life. 
Persecution, though, here is a, we got to understand it. So he does talk about these two verbal attacks, but he also talks about just persecution in general. And that can be any sort of threat. It could be a violence. It could be physical, verbal, emotional, whatever. And persecution, of course, is not a surprise. Because Jesus tells us it's going to happen. If you're a Christian and if you act like a Christian, you're going to be persecuted. Matthew 24, 9. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. So not because of you, not because of something you did, because of Jesus. And we should not be ashamed of this. Do not be ashamed if you're persecuted. Instead, look what it says, uh, what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, and verse 16. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. Then look with me at verse 12. When persecuted, Jesus commands us to do what? To be sad? No, to rejoice and to be glad. Why? Because when we get to heaven, Jesus says, we will be given a reward. We will be given a reward. People, what? Really? Yeah. Yeah. A reward for living faithfully as a Christian. Now, are there any people out here that have the spiritual gift of gift giving? Are there people like that here? Uh, okay, yeah, I see one out there. There are people that have this gift. They love to give gifts to other people. And you know these people because whenever you go to a gift exchange, everybody wants their present. Everybody finds out who's got that, that present, and that's the one that they all trade for, because they're really good at it. Now, we don't have to know what the present is, because we know the gift giver, and we know the kind of person they are. In the same way, it goes for God's gifts or rewards. We don't need to know exactly what they are. We just need to know the gift giver and say, if he's given it, it's worthwhile. We want it. We should be living for it in some way. What these gifts are is never spelled out in the Bible, but again, because God is who he is, we look forward to the gift with anticipation. Knowing that the gift will be given in response to our faithfulness, I think is part of what encourages us to walk through the hard times, to be able to get through those tough times when life isn't easy as a Christian. Then Jesus says something powerful for the disciples. He compares the persecution of disciples of Christians to the persecutions of the prophets in the Old Testament. This is a big deal. This is quite a comparison. These Jewish Christians have grown up hearing these wonderful stories over and over again. They've been grown up to regard the prophets as the pinnacle of faithfulness to God. To be mentioned in the same breath as the prophets would be like a scientist being said, you're the next Einstein. Or, you know, for a hockey player to be told, you're the next Gretzky. These, when you say these kinds of things, you're making a really high comparison, and you're saying you're just like them, and it, it brings praise. The point that Jesus is making for the disciples is they're not alone in the persecution. The greatest men and women had to deal with this. What we experience as Christians then is not a surprise. 
Faithfulness has always resulted in a challenging life for Christians, for the prophets, and now for us. So as the Beatitudes uh, tell us clearly, Christians are supposed to be different, and that brings persecution. But these differences, friends, are also what are part of the blessing we give to the community, and that's revealed in our second and third point this morning. Disciples of Jesus will be salty. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. To help us understand how we should live in the world, Jesus uses this metaphor of salt. Jesus first says, you. He changes things here. All, there, all before this, he's been doing blessed or happy or blessed or happy, and he's making these general statements. And then all of a sudden, he, he zeroes in, and he says, you. He changes his focus. You, my friends, you, my disciples. He, he's even speaking to us this morning. You, you are to be the salt of the earth. What makes this passage challenging, or this metaphor challenging to decipher, is which quality of salt is Jesus pointing to? In Bible times, there were many uses for salt. In today's world, there's many uses for salt as well. So to understand which one he's getting at could be difficult. Even think about uh, our lives today. Salt is what makes food taste good, right? We love adding it, but it's also at the same time something you have to avoid if you got high blood pressure. Uh, It's great to put on the roads to keep us safe when it's icy. And yet at the same time, it's also what causes our car to rust, right? So it's got this, salt is a bit of a mixed bag metaphor. Now in Bible times, salt was used for things like, mainly good things, right? Old Testament sacrifices and incense. It was a condiment for food, a preservative. It was associated with loyalty, friendship, and interestingly, peace. Mark chapter 950 says this. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Hmm. And then in Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 to 6, salt is connected with wisdom. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So our problem is that with so many uses for salt, how do we land on the right meaning? And the answer is we can't choose one. Salt as a metaphor includes all of the good aspects of salt, all the meanings, not just one. The disciples should have as many of these positive qualities of salt and be associated with them. And then we are to be, it says, salt of the earth. Salt to the people of this world who do not know Christ. This is not so much an evangelistic statement. I'm guessing there's some aspect of that here. It's rather a way of being in the world. We're supposed to make a difference. We are supposed to make a difference by being different. Being the the spice of conversations and activities. Salt doesn't spice itself, does it? You never put salt on your salt, unless you're my wife who really loves salt then sometimes you put salt on your salt. But generally, we don't put salt on our salt. Salt is only valuable when it's used to make something else taste good. It's added to something. It's used and it's shaken upon a dish, a food. One of the temptations for Christians individually or as a church is to make their faith just about private practice. 
about private religious practice. It's just, my faith is just about coming to church. My faith is just about doing my devotions. What's happening when we make faith just about that, or our, our discipleship just about that, is the salt is salting the salt. We're adding salt to something that's already salty. It's easiest for us just to keep all this stuff, to all the salt together in one place. It's easier not to shake out the salt into the community and make a difference, but that would mean that salt isn't doing what it was created to do. So as Christians, we're commanded to season our community. The problem is, is that we like things to be easy and comfortable. We like to salt the salt. Things get more complicated when the church goes out in the community or when we start letting the community in and we start becoming salt to them. As we open up LSA to the community through our church rentals and our outreach ministries, we know that things are gonna get more difficult for us. Where before we could just do our thing and be ignored, now we're coming on the community's radar. In our world, that is a scary proposition. They are gonna know us and they're gonna know what we stand for and they're going to disagree with much, with much of what we say. Where before we could just do our thing, now we can't. The crazy thing is that some people think that we shouldn't be salt at all. Their whole philosophy of ministry is don't be salt, whatever you do. Instead, be more like the world. If you can conform to the world and be like the world, then you can reach the world is the thought. But that way it doesn't work because it would mean becoming unsalty salt. And if salt is unsalty, what is it? Sand, right? And when you go to the beach and you're eating those chips, those sour cream and onion ruffles chips, and you get some sand in the bag, it's disgusting. And you start shaking it off, right? You're trying to get the sand off. You don't want the sand. It doesn't make anything taste better. It's a problem. It's useless. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If we're not salty, if we're not spicing up the conversations, then we're just going to get shaken off. We're not doing anything. Christians who are so focused on being relevant and cool to their community are unsalted salt. They're useless because they're indistinguishable from the community. Could it be that culturally accepted Christians are actually a contradiction? You can't be. There's no such thing. It's like unsalty salt. Christian organizations that are trying to be culturally relevant are quickly becoming irrelevant because they have nothing to say. They stand for nothing and therefore the world ignores them. They are unsalted salt and therefore no good for anything to be thrown out. Finally, it says that disciples of Jesus will be light. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16. I want you to notice something again. The first word he starts with, you. Focusing it once again, he's speaking directly to you, to you, to you, every single one of us, right to your heart. And he's saying, I want you to be like this. Jesus hammering home an important idea because without you, the disciples of Jesus being salt and light in our community under persecution, God's work is compromised. We're talking about the Engage Fair here. Why are we doing this? It's not for us that we do the Engage Fair. It's not for the church. 
itself that we're asking for uh, people to join in and volunteer. It is for you. To be a disciple, you need to get involved. You have to be using your gift. And when we don't use our gift, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, if we don't use our gift, the work of God is being compromised. Now, not anybody can do everything. So what we need is everyone to do a little thing. And that's how God's work moves forward. And so it says, in verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world, not because of innate goodness in us, but because Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is burning brightly in you. And he shines forth from you. We are not the light. Jesus is the light. But since he is in us, and since he burns brightly, he shines forth. John 8, 12 says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. So there's no confusion here. You are not the light. Jesus is the light. In Philippians chapter 2, 15 to 16, he clarifies that Jesus shines through us as the light. Look what it says. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. And that's shining brightly. As, not through yourself, as you hold out the word of life. So as you hold out Jesus to others, as you speak and live out Jesus to others, as you follow Jesus in your life, you're shining forth Jesus to them, allowing them to see him and be ultimately transformed by him. We have to take this further and say, it's not only or even predominantly as individuals that we shine as a light to our community. It's as a gathered congregation of individual lights shining together that pierces the darkness around us. In the Bible, there's no, uh, there's no sense of individual Christians. There's just Christians that are part of a congregation. Uh, they are pieces of a body. It is through us as a church that Jesus shines his light to a lost world, or as Jesus says, to the whole house. It's only through being the church together that our city uh, can hear about Jesus. If we shine brightly as a congregation, then they can hear. LSA needs to be a light for Lakeshore to come see. We need to take the bowl off of the church and let Jesus shine. He is shining. Here's the crazy thing. We don't have to do anything except take the bowl off. We just gotta let it off. We don't have to do something. Jesus is doing it all. He's the, we don't save people, he saves people. We don't draw people to Jesus, he draws people to himself. We don't evangelize so much as just shine the light, and he evangelizes. He shares himself the good news. What we need to do and how we take that bowl off is by being a giving, generous, gracious, truth-speaking, loving community of people. If we focus on keeping that light to ourselves, just benefiting ourselves, seeing our plans and our agendas accomplished, you know what we're doing? We're covering the light. We're hiding Jesus from the world. So friends, I'm calling all of us through this scripture today to really hear what Jesus is saying. He's calling you and me to action, to make a difference by being different. Whether you work in a factory, in a hospital, 
in an office, at a home, in a school, ask yourself, how do you live for Jesus where you are so that others know that you're a Christian? If your language is so bad at work, no one could imagine that you actually go to church. If you tear down your boss just like everybody else in the office, if the people at work can't tell you're a Christian by the way that you treat other people, then for them, you're just part of the darkness. Instead, workers, bosses, homemakers, let's be light to our work world. Start being the light of Jesus in the darkness. Let's stop being part of the darkness and be different. Students, young people, young adults, huh? now you got me as a young adults pastor. Look out, now I'm gonna be bringing you up on Sunday mornings because I know I'm thinking about it all the time now. You young adults, if you dress and act immodestly just like your peers at school, if you join in the parties and the drinking, the crude music and language, which of your friends is gonna think being a Christian makes any lick of difference? Not one. They're gonna go, well, the Jesus thing obviously doesn't matter because they act just the same as everybody else. So why would I waste my time with it? Young people, do not give in to the temptation to be relevant, to be unsalty salt. Instead, let Jesus who is in you change the world you live in. You wanna change the world? I'll tell you how. Let Jesus shine forth from you. That's how you change the world. Be the spice of Jesus for your friends, enticing them to learn more about your Savior and Lord. So church, that was to young adults, but it's to all of us. Let's commit to living differently, knowing that by living differently, by being salt and light, we're part in that process of transforming the community around us and encouraging others to follow Jesus as well. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you so much for the work that you're doing in us. We know by the power of your spirit, you're the one shaping and changing us to be ones that bring glory to you by being different, undergoing persecution, but ultimately through that difference, really changing in our community and helping others make a decision for you. Lord, we just pray that a revival would happen here and that it would be all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe to our channel. If you would like to partner with LSA, you can. Just go to lsa.church forward slash give. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to join us in person. And until next time, be blessed. And we'll see you soon.